I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball! All right, it's a great day for a ball game. This is Randy Rohde on Running the Bases with Small Businesses. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us today. Our guest today is quite a rock star in the digital marketing industry. He's a native of Illinois. He attended the flagship university, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. While there, he studied computer science and had the opportunity to do research in the National Center for Supercomputing Applications that is housed right there on the campus. After graduation in 96, he located to Seattle to begin his career with Microsoft. Several years later, he pioneered the market for competitive intelligence analysis and founded QL2 Software. And over 20 years later, his web QL tool continues to be internationally recognized for data queries. More recently, he's been impacting the SEO world. He is the creator of the SEO software Cora. And in addition, he travels the world speaking at SEO conferences, where I actually in the last few months. I've been able to join up with Ted at a couple of those. He's a leader in SEO education through his IMG website, and you can listen to him weekly on his podcast, SEO Fight Club, dispelling SEO myths and educating about data-driven SEO solutions. So please welcome to the show the founder and CEO of SEO Tool Labs, Ted Kabaitis. Ted, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, uh, an impressive amount of research you've done into my past. Uh, one one small correction. I'm uh, not with IMG anymore. I sold that venture. Uh, um, well, good for uh, you. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one that I'm no longer running. I'll, I'll note that with my researcher. Was that because I, I know that you that we're going to get into the weeds a little bit for our audience. But was that the, the venture you were doing with Kyle Roof? Yeah. 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 Okay. It, you know, a lot of people think there's a lot of yeah. drama and stuff about that, but there, there's really not yeah. basically a uh, long story short, uh, during the pandemic, uh, my father died mm. and I was suffering from a spinal injury so I could barely sit for 15 minutes at a time. And, uh, I wasn't pulling my weight. And so they bought me out because they needed to move faster than I was sure. able to do. So it's, it's uh, no no hard feelings or anything. It's just a case of it, it wasn't going to work out at the time. And and in those cases, you know, a lot of people, they get all angry and bitter and fight and everything. But but really what you got to do in those moments is just, you know, kind, kind of make it right for all sides and and move on. And so that's what I did. All right. Well, good to know. That's a great program I've been a part of, and I love uh, listening to SEO Fight Club, so I'm glad that still lives on. Uh, that's very fun. So before we get started, as I mentioned in the intro, and by the way, so I have this research team, and they do a great job in like digging up all kinds of stuff uh, on people. So I'll pass along your congrats to them for another job well done. I've heard you say this story a couple of times, and I think it's really it's quite, quite humorous and kind of fascinating being in our industry, but I would love it if you could maybe share the story, as you say, that you've been fired four times from the same job for being too successful. <laughs> yeah, you know, as a commission-based SEO for an online retailer. And what I've learned about uh, commission-based SEO is that it, once you become one of the highest paid employees at the company, uh, they resent you. Um, so it's the nature of the beast. And uh, they always wonder because for a search engine optimizer, they think, well, you've already tuned the pages. How much more value can you bring? So we already got the value 
And as an online retailer, they do 80% of their sales in Q4. And so why wouldn't they think that they should just let you go before Q4, not pay out the big commissions? I mean, what more can you offer? Uh, big mistake on their part, though, because when I left, uh, their revenue fell by millions. And no. so they wanted me back. Of course, my rates went up at that point because sure. I can't trust them anymore. My sure. contract terms change. And uh, then I do it again. And then they hate me because I'm the most expensive person in the company. And so what more can I do for them? So they fire me and their <laughs> organic revenue falls through the floor. And so they want me back. And So you did that dance like you did this dance like four times. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, life as a commission-based employee if you're good at what you do. Um, I bet if it was commission sales, commission whatever. Sure, sure. Um, the second you become the most expensive is the second everybody hates you and shoots eye daggers in your back. And, and it's tough. And being an SEO, like if you're a small business person and you worked with an SEO, you probably have a lot of complaints about the SEO. Well, it's it's kind of a a two-way street, you know, but being an SEO is a thankless job because half of what we're doing as an SEO is uh, preventing the customer from shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah. And so SEOs commonly tell, you know, engineering teams and businesses, no, you can't do your redesign that way. No, you can't just point any old domain at the money site. No, you can't just... And very quickly, it becomes political and people hate us. We're the people saying no, 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 but we're not the business owner. Right. And all of a sudden, anyone who, you know, has a plan to the contrary wants to see you die a miserable death, business speaking. But, you know, you have to you have to push back and like, you know, businesses so often don't recognize the thankless value of saying no to things that will hurt the business. And so many SEOs get sacrificed for kind of doing the right thing and saying no when it needs to be said. Uh, that is uh yeah, I, I think that's a funny story. And you're probably right in the sense of probably could be anything if you're a sales commission person selling cars or mattresses, probably doesn't matter. If you were the top gun, they yeah, you're you got a big target on you. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, there's a lot of businesses out there that would love the idea of hiring an SEO on a commission basis, but just remember, you can lose that bet. And what are you going to do when that SEO knocks it out of the park? Yeah. Like some of some of the SEOs I work with, they're data driven and they've tested their methods so they know what they're going to bring in. I know one guy, he took on an online retailer and, you know, he just knocked it out of the park. That retailer was was selling, you know, those collections of uh of elements that are in acrylic plastic that look so cool. Like okay. if you are into chemistry and okay. you're like, oh, I want to collect all the elements. Sure. It was that type of product. Uh, he sold them out of inventory in like three weeks. Oh my. And he ended up getting himself fired because the reorder time on getting more inventory was six months out. So what do you need an SEO for if you have no inventory? <laughs> And so a lot of businesses, uh, they don't understand that, you know, you have to have the whole, you know, pipeline set up for scale if you're planning to grow. And people don't think about that when they hire, you know, a, a top of the line SEO. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, walk back a little bit in early in your career. So and this is early, early. <laughs> Have you always had a passion for computers? I know growing up, you know, in the shadows of the University of Illinois. I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think that is the the laboratory for the personal computer. Well, to, to understand my origin story, you need to know a tiny amount about my dad. Ah, um, all right. Here we go. So, Some family secrets here. Yeah, yeah. Going, going back to the late 60s, early 70s, you know, big room size mainframes. 
he was hired to kind of watch the door of the lab and and uh, check uh, IDs and stuff for Control Data Corporation. All right, and uh, uh, he was often in the the night shift, and there was nobody ever there. So it was him, these giant rooms of servers, and all of the technical manuals. So he read all the technical manuals on all of the mainframes and servers and everything while he was there. And uh, at some point, you know, one of the the main scientists is having issues and, you know, things aren't working right and there are problems. And so my dad, who, you know, RTFM'd, you know, he, he read the <laughs> FN manual, sure. uh, you know, he, he goes in and fixes the problem uh, and the scientist gets all up in arms that the guy watching the door dared even touch these mainframes. So he goes uh, to the CEO of the company, starts demanding that my dad be fired. Oh, and no. the CEO looked at the problem, looked at what my dad did and uh, gave him a job as a system administrator for the systems. <laughs> All right. So that's that's kind of his origin story. And so he makes all these contacts at Control Data and eventually ends up in Batavia, Illinois. Oh, yeah. At the Fermilab Particle Accelerator. So he's there doing uh, systems and engineering for Fermilab. All right. And I, at that time, I'm a little tiny kid. I'm just, you know, running around, uh, you know, fishing in the cooling ponds outside of Fermilab <laughs> and, uh, saw, uh, Stephen Hawking there once didn't, didn't even recognize it. Wouldn't be later until later in life that I learned how special that was yeah. to just run across Stephen Hawking. That sure. doesn't normally happen. And so I uh, saw James Randi there too. Wow. Uh, he was there for a little bit. And uh, yeah, a number, number of, you know, famous people in that crowd were there. And uh, at that time I was in grade school. My dad hands me a uh, TRS-80. Uh-huh. You know, they called it the Trash 80 from Radio Shack. <laughs> Little computer, you connect it to your TV, you sure. can type in some basic programs, draw random circles, that right, type of right. thing. So I, I kind of learned the basics of programming and stuff at that point. Later on, I get to high school. I don't take any computer stuff in high school because I'm way more advanced by that point than what they're teaching. I get to college and I can't really handle the college curriculum for computer science because it's boring the shit out of me. And this is at um, University of Illinois. Yeah, yeah. So you have to remember that yeah. the curriculum at that time was very basic. Like most yeah. universities didn't have computer science. It was all part of the math program. Right, right. And so, yeah, and like one of the things that happened uh, at that point in time is they had uh, – they came around with a NDA saying, hey, we have something we want to show you, but it requires a signed NDA to use it. And so I sign it and I install this new thing that nobody's ever seen before called Mosaic. <laughs> and uh, what it was was the first graphical web browser. Yeah, yeah, I and remember so that. I'm looking at this thing. It has one web page on it. Uh, Usenet news and a couple FTP sites, and that's all it was. There's nothing else on the web. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, okay, this is never going to catch on. <laughs> but it was pretty cool. And uh, But it did catch on like very quickly. Uh, yeah. Once it was out of the, the closed NDA thing, I had all my friends making websites about their bands and and doing all that stuff. And it was it was a lot of fun. I had the uh, office across the hall from Mark Andreessen for a while, who would later go on and make Netscape. Sure. And uh, I eventually uh, made my way out to Microsoft in Seattle, where I was working for a marketer, a rocket scientist, who was part of the team that engineered the Boeing Delta II rocket. And Microsoft had this idea of let's get a rocket scientist and throw marketing problems at him. So uh, I was his engineer and I was learning from him about his concepts of payload in the marketing world. 
And so I learned a ton there. Did it work? Was that a good uh, connector? Yeah, we knocked his approach left and right. Like it was, it was every two weeks, somebody was bringing a bottle of champagne to me. (laughs) Um, So it it was really cool. Um, That's great. And yeah, that was amazing. And then in April of 2000, I went to start a, uh, a startup. I raised $2.5 million in angel funding for the startup. I fought with the VCs all yeah. the time. We we opted to go without VCs because they were all ridiculous. Yeah. You know, when, when you start talking with the VCs, they think you should revalue your company because they brought a box lunch. You know, it's like, no way. And they're arguing the valuation. It's like, well, we've already sold shares and we can get any number of shares sold again at the same valuation. Why would we give you 10 cents on the dollar for a box lunch? Uh Like what, what possible reason would go through your head for us to revalue? Yeah. And so, yeah, after arguing with a number of venture capital companies, we realized we just didn't need them. Right. You know, that was the problem. The thing that they couldn't understand is why we didn't need them. <laughs> and so we made this awesome technology is, is incredible. We're working with all the major airlines. We're working with uh, government agencies. We're working with massive corporations in the area of business intelligence and 9-11 hits and all the airlines left the table. We weren't going to make profit for another 10 months after that. Had a staff of uh, 25 engineers. I had to let them go because I knew it would be 10 months before we could really pay them. And man, that was rough. That reduced me to tears, but uh, stuck with it. We clawed our way out of that hole. Nice. Um, we're uh, partially credited with helping the airlines uh, rebound at that time because there are laws that the airlines couldn't communicate to uh, adjust their pricing. So we were the end round around that where they could monitor each other's pricing and adjust accordingly without coordinating it. And uh, so, yeah, part of the reason airfares got expensive again after 9-11 was the stuff we were doing. Mm, thank you. Um, well, thanks for doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I sold that in April of 2000 and uh, went into online retail where I was an engineer and SEO fell into my lap. And right. Eventually, I, I, you know, invented my own way of doing SEO. And I was working in isolation. Nobody knew about it. And I showed some people on Black Hat World some of the things I was doing. And they were like, oh, my God, what made that data? (laughs) And and then I kind of realized I had an opportunity. And so I struck out on my own. And so I've been doing SEO software ever since. And I've been loving it. It's my happy place. I get to invent uh, technology and help people. Yeah. My two favorite things in the world. Yeah. Well, that is, that is a great story. So that's, yeah, a, a long sliver. I love the story about your dad and kind of going from the security guard. I don't know what his title was to being, you know, a systems analyst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <laughs> man, amazing. It, uh, it, it it's just crazy how the world works and it, you know, it shows you the value of reading the manual. And yeah. so you have this, you know, PhD computer right, right. science guy that's screaming at you that didn't even read the manual and you have an untrained person who read the manual. Well, sometimes whoever read the manuals in the right. It, you yeah. Know? That, that guy's the smartest guy in the room. Well, I always yeah. thought, and your dad was probably was doing the thing physically it's like what i tell my kids all the time is like listen you were living in such a great world right now you could spend 30 minutes on youtube and learn how to do anything and your dad you know is like well i got all this research right here i'm gonna go put it to use and yeah. just did his and thing could you imagine it like back then like yeah. that documentation was in three ring binders mm-hmm. of black and white paper oh yeah you know you you dream about it being on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And back then but oh, man. to have that type of initiative, man, you really had to invest a lot personally. Yeah. yeah. Well well and so and then walking through a little bit and I'm just kind of putting the timelines together. So you were at Microsoft 
And I should say, uh, yeah, that was in '97 when you, I went there. You know, you and I actually, I used to live in Issaquah, and I moved there in '90. 95, I believe it was. Uh, and I was there for five years. So we were, you know, who knows? Yeah, maybe we were neighbors. We probably passed each other on the 520. <laughs> but I just know because I was working for a company. I was uh, um, um, VP of operations for a company called Egghead. Do you remember Egghead? Vaguely, were they, uh, they were, were they a, a software vendor? Or well, a, we, were, we were a retailer that had that you could go and buy any piece of software, right? Or, or, and then we began to expand. We were selling hardware, uh, as well in the final days. But I remember in, uh, and this was kind of interesting in 96, that December, the board of directors had a meeting. They said, Hey, you know, this is after we had spent a, a ton of money in opening like three big, big box, uh, footprints. Typically that typical egghead store at that time was about 2000 square feet. We'll say packed with software. And then because competitors and big box, you know, was the, was the, was the standard that was where retail was going. So we put investment into, and we opened three big boxes around the country and, uh, and they were going well, but the board of directors came and met December of, I remember this, it was like, wow, December of 96, they met and decided they had a question. Do we continue to invest in the big box retailing or do we just go all in and bank everything on this thing called the internet and do internet sales? And they decided, and, and at this time, when I joined, I grew the company. We went from 75 stores to we were up just under 300 at the time. And they decided that they were going to roll the dice and go all internet. <laughs> and so, so, and that was in 96. So in 97, I just spent that whole year shutting stores down. That was crazy. I'm like, this is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, and that's what, and now today they are called new egg. Uh, and so you probably see them online doing retailing. So we were probably there, but that get away from my history. You were there at Microsoft though, during like some really cool times, right? I mean, you were there like windows 98 launched, man. And that like, wow, that would change the world. Right. You were there with bill himself. And when he stepped down, so man, yeah, uh, when when I was there, I was part of the LookSmart acquisition. I uh, had written some of the the materials on the IEAK, the Internet Explorer Administration yeah. Kit. You know all those sure. CDs they yeah. sent out yeah, to sign yeah. up with ISPs. Yeah, I helped author that. A number of my uh, projects appeared in the Barksdale Antitrust testimony between oh. Netscape and Microsoft. So I have a couple bullet items on that laundry list. <laughs> Good for you. Um, yeah, it, it was an interesting time to say the least. Yeah. The mid nineties right in there in the tech world was uh, just crazy. Cause it just seemed like every other, every other month it was like something revolutionary coming and, you know, and then for a period of time, you know, Microsoft and other developers at Borland at that time as well. I mean, they were just like buying, trying to acquire different smaller software companies to embed, whether into windows or Microsoft into office, you know? Um, yeah, it was a, that was a crazy time period back then. Was that tough stepping away from Microsoft? It was, but uh, there came a point where where Microsoft was uh, leaning heavily into change after like the Permatemp lawsuit, and and so you know the culture changed significantly then. And I remember that was the time I left to create my uh, first startup venture. Yeah, and. Uh, eventually eventually during the course of like the four years of that startup venture we were nominated for best new technology by pc magazine and i ended up at the award ceremony in uh, vegas at comdex uh, being co-nominated for a category with bill gates and the windows (laughs) operating system so i'm i'm up there for a technology no one has ever heard of 
uh, and his brand new technology is amazing technology, but nobody knew about what it was. And there I am, you know, up against like windows 98 or windows <laughs> Vista or something like that at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible as, you know, right. Sitting next to, I was sitting next to the security detail that was next to Bill Gates. So I was within 12 feet of Bill Gates at this award ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, who won the award that year? Uh, it wasn't me. I was happy to be nominated, but of course the technology that nobody knows is not going to take the prize. Probably not. But anyway, you were at the table though. So that was kind of yes. fun. Uh, good for you. All right. So I want to get back. We're going to get into it. I want to talk about your current venture SEO tool lab and it, and folks, I will tell you, this is, as an SEO myself, this is like uh, the mad scientist kind of stuff, right? And this is not a tool for the meek here. This is a lot of data, a lot of info. So this is probably, unless you are into SEO, this is probably not the tool for you. But I love Ted's background. I love uh, his tool and how he's grown his company. And so I thought he'd be a great guest for us. So we're going to talk a, more about your, your latest uh, endeavor here. And I want to point out that uh, what Randy just said is is not a dig. He no, says no. that with with my approval, my software is for professional SEOs. So if you're a mom and pop business, you kind of have no business uh, getting it. But if if you're if you're a professional SEO, then I can help you. So if if you're interested in the kind of advantage like my technology can bring what i recommend to you is you find an seo that uses my software right. and go with them yeah. but maybe maybe if you're a mom and pop shop you don't buy it it's probably going to be more than you can handle yeah yeah <laughs> i just wanted to set that table there a little bit before yeah, we, yeah. before we dig into that i don't want people getting into into trouble maybe doing something but before we get there ted i uh, I, do you like baseball? I, I do. I'm not I'm not the biggest expert, but I can tell you the first game I ever saw. Oh, well, let's hold on a second. Let's get it. It's that time. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. All right. It is. Ted, this is that time of the show that we call the seventh inning stretch. And uh, yeah, it gives me an opportunity to ask our guests a little baseball trivia question. But before we get into that, though, you, you kind of teased us with the remembering your first, first baseball game. Yep, yep. I uh, uh, went with my dad to Chicago and we saw a Cubs yeah. versus Pirates game. <laughs> there we go. And in true fashion, the Cubs lost miserably, and oh, yeah. I loved it, and I was a Cubs fan forever after. I, you know, I was wondering, I can see you're, you're it's not quite Cubby Blue, but you, I can see you're wearing some blue. It must be Cubby Blue, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you not like an underdog? It's a fun game to watch, and yes. even though they didn't win, they played their hearts out. Yes, and, yes, You know, yes. that's... That's always respectable. And I always got teased for being a Cubs fan, oh. but you know, uh, you know, in for a penny, in for a penny. There you go. All right. Well, Ted, I am a lifelong Cubs fan, so we, you and I have got uh, something to share there. So here we go. So here's the here here's the the background for it. Here, our seventh inning stretch. You're a native of Illinois. Did you? Well, your dad took you to baseball, so this is good. You're a Cubs fan. So experts, we're, we're kind of going here with this the, the Fight Club theme, kind of like with your current podcast that you've got going. And so we're going to talk about the intense rivals in MLB, right? Kind of the Fight Club of MLB. Experts have been talking and have had opinions about what makes the great rivalry, what are some of those crosstown classics and that kind of stuff. Uh, Men's Journal recently ranked their most intense rivalries, kind of listing their own fight clubs, so to speak. So here's, the, here's your question. What do you believe that they ranked the number one rivalry in all of baseball? Number one rivalry. Well, it has, has to include the Yankees, I bet. Um, <laughs> now, who would be on the other side of that? 
I'm listening for keyboard clicks. So no, 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 <laughs> no, no. I, and the, the problem is I'm, I'm not a, a huge, uh, baseball trivia person so right now i bet people are pulling their hair out saying why on earth don't you know this (laughs) it's because i i like playing the game i like watching the game but i don't study there you go the stat books well you're you're i I will say this you are halfway there let's walk it down from top five down to number one first uh in the number fifth spot is the rangers versus the blue jays all right. I'm not exactly sure how that got to be a big rivalry, but that's number five. Number four are the Giants and the Dodgers. Ooh, yeah, that right? that should have been more obvious. To yeah, me. yeah. So there we got the Giants and the Dodgers. Then number three are the Yankees versus the Mets. And that makes sense, yeah. right? You get yeah, I, I was thinking that, but I was like, that's kind of a little too close. Yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah, two, two uh, metros. Number two, now this one I know because I live it every season, Cardinals versus the Cubs. Yeah, yeah, that was big in Illinois, but I didn't know if it oh, would yeah, yeah. be meaningful nationwide. Yes, it is the uh, the Route sixty six rivalry, right? Uh, yeah, and those yeah. and just a little those two teams have been playing each other since eighteen ninety two. So think about kind of you know all of the history that's uh, rounded the bases with those two guys. But the number one rivalry in all of baseball, Yankees versus the Red Sox. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Yeah. They have played each other over 2,000 times. Uh, that's a lot yeah, of baseball. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. That should have been more obvious to me. Oh, man. So you think about all of the history. You know, you had Babe Ruth that was sold from Boston to New York back in 1916. We've had yeah, yeah. a ton of fights between those teams, you know, bench-clearing brawls. And then, you know, the the Red Sox, uh, kind of when they launched their wave of winning, when they won game seven of the uh, 2003 ALCS and then went on in 2004 to beat the Yankees. So swept the Yankees actually there. So yeah, yeah, there it is. Yankees versus Red Sox. Number one rivalry. It it seems like television is always looking for things to reboot. I think (laughs) if they did dramatic uh, recreations of famous big rivalry games, Oh, that would be like winning content. Yeah, that could be good stuff. All right, all right. Well, good. Well, thanks for uh, playing our seventh inning stretch. So let's get back into it. Play ball. So I do want to hear about um, SEO Tool Lab. And so give you a chance to talk a little bit about that and um, and really about Cora. So you can tell folks what this great tool is that you have out there. And I think if I recall, you've just, or, or either it has been released or it's on the horizon here of a new version of Cora. Yeah. Yeah. Cora seven is out and it does local and it has tons of new features and, uh, people are wildly crazy about it. So I, I kind of, uh, hit a grand slam with Cora seven. So nice. it's, it's doing very well. Nice. You know, the interesting thing about my current business is kind of my mentality. So you, you heard in my story that I did a big angel fund adventure and, and sold it in 2004. And I kind of went completely the opposite direction on SEO tool lab. So on, uh, on my, uh, first startup, I was, you know, thinking big and, you know, let's change the way businesses do business and, you know, giant ventures and, and huge ideas, you know, million dollar ideas. And, and I kind of backed way off of that, uh, for my second business, I was like thinking much smaller. It's like, you know, there's, there's probably a much more comfortable way to go about making money. You know, if you can solve a a $200 problem really, really well, and you can sell that solution over and over and over again, you don't need to have million dollar ideas. You can, you can have a $200 idea that makes you millions. I like that. That's a great, that's a great analogy right there. 
Yeah. And, and so I, I started thinking more lean and, you know, let's find a good idea, solve it well, take it to market and race to the first dollar and do incremental improvement. And, and I've come to learn that what I really love in business more than anything else is small business. Like it is so cool when you find a successful recipe in small business and you don't have to play the big wheel and dealer type, you know, ventures like, you know, that doesn't have to be what you do. You can find tremendous success thinking small. Do you want to? I, I don't want to confuse people. And I'm wondering, do you want to or do, do you have a... um kind of a summary description of Cora? Yeah, Cora is a, uh, it's an SEO measurement tool. So you type in a, a keyword in a URL and Cora will tell you exactly what factors you need to tune for that URL for that keyword and exactly how much of each one. And so there's several ways that uh, marketing agencies use Cora. Uh, for one, it's very detailed data on costing out the work so you can get the right cost for the work you need to do. Cora tells you when to stop, which is what most SEOs don't know when to do. They'll keep <laughs> tuning the same thing endlessly, and Cora will say, no, you're number one for that. Stop doing it. Move on to something else. It tells you exactly how you're different than higher ranking websites. And so most people think that Google is out there reading your page and going, aha, you made a better point in sentence three of paragraph two. Therefore, you go up two spots. But that's not how it works at all. <laughs> it's just kind of understanding, you know, how do you speak to algorithms to rank well? Versus how do you speak to visitors so they convert into sales? You need to do both and they're different processes. And so Cora is very good at speaking to algorithms to rank well. That's a, a great point because I have this conversation not in those exact same terms, but with clients. And I try to tell them, listen, I, I try to have two mindsets, one which is SEO based. So I want to get you ranked. But on the other side, we also have to look at your content, look at the way your site is structured so that we are converting. It doesn't matter if you get, I could drive a million people to your site. If they're not going to buy anything from you or convert or become a lead, what value does that have for you? I guess you could you know, run ads on your site and then that becomes a, <laughs> a value. But otherwise, you know, it's got to convert. Yeah, exactly. And and the SEO side of it doesn't get all of the credit. You know, you, you hear people talk and they tell you that, you know, they, they, they're almost predatory on SEOs because SEOs walk the traffic, you know, right. within a, a yard or two of, of the, of the touchdown and then leave it there. And then the CROs come in and complete the sale and get all the credit. And uh, the SEO is the hard expensive part. And so, yeah, my tool set makes the hard expensive part a lot more simple and easy to do uh, so that you can focus more on the conversions and making the customer happy and getting the credit for the sales. Yeah. And so, yeah, people have, have found a lot of success in streamlining their workflows with Cora to get good results. And they've found that when they use Cora as part of the sales process, they blow their prospects away because we're using data and most SEOs don't do that. And when you demonstrate that we are working with measurement data and we base our recommendations based on measurements, it's a game changer. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, so you've got a new version of Cora. You've started SEO Tool Lab uh, about five years ago, six years ago, roughly. Um, yep. What's the team like? Is it just you being mad scientist and doing everything? Or do you have a team? Do you have an office? Dispersed workforce? What do you got going for you? It's it's right now, it's me and my wife. And I'm going to expand to a little bit of help in the area of support. But I'm still going to be doing the main development. You know, the thing that I found is that uh, 
I have a weird blend of exacting standards for how software is coded for performance and mm. for the, the business problem being solved. And I'm also very artful in figuring out which corners we need to cut as a business to get the software deployed and rolled out efficiently and on time. And so one of the things I'm known for is very aggressive updates and feature enhancements and listening to my customers and doing customer requested changes. And uh, I find that a lot of software engineers aren't up to working to those kinds of standards. And uh, so I, I like to maintain tight control on that. So that's probably the last thing I'll give up is is that engineering control but i do i do need to grow in terms of handling scale and supporting customers and so that's what i'm going to build out first uh in this next phase of my business all right so you mentioned you work with your wife how is that how, how does that work a nice situation i, I don't know well, I've, it, I've tried most, it a few times with my wife and it doesn't work <laughs> yeah well. most most people don't do it right so you you have to stay in your lane, yeah. so to speak. And so you have to come to terms about what lanes are what. And so uh, my, my wife is very smart. Uh, she uh, was a Georgetown undergrad and a uh, UW MBA in finance. And mm. uh, she knows her stuff. She uh, worked in uh, finance with Starbucks when they did their big uh, growth and development. Wow, she nice. worked in marketing at Microsoft. And so she's, she's very good at her job and she knows how to take money and put it to work. And so that's a good uh, partner to have. Right yeah. There. Yeah. And so the fact that, you know, she can easily handle doing the, the business accounting and the finance, she can take the money and make sure that it's in a place where it's doing more work as it grows. And, you know, it, it's really awesome because then I can focus on bringing the money in that right. she can then put to work. Yeah, And so, you know, if we stay in our lanes and, and we uh, cooperate towards goals, it works great. But when you, when I see a lot of other husband and wife teams work and they often collide, like we're both working on a website development and we're arguing about wh what it should be. Well, you got two people in the same swim lane. You got a problem there. And so, of course, that's not going to end well. Uh, one of you is going to have to climb out of the pool in order for that to work. And so I see lots of people attempting to work with their spouse and they, they don't make the separation of roles. That is great advice. And I'm sure some of our listeners are like, ah, <laughs> take that to heart, hopefully. So I find your story very interesting So because... I mean, when you say like you you really are going small, I mean, and and to put this into perspective, I'm I'm not even sure that I can. I mean, you are in my world in digital marketing SEO world, you are really on the pedestal. I mean, people just yeah. have the greatest admiration, respect uh, for your uh, talent, for your software, for uh, what it is that you do, your ideas and directions, and so. You know, and this piece of software that you have, Cora, is fabulous. I mean, if if I had ten SEOs in a room and I said, well, "What do you think is the most valuable tool that you can think of in our industry?" Nine out of ten of those guys would rank Cora certainly in the top three, if not number one. I mean, that's that's the certainly the mind share, at least I think of SEOs uh, uh, in the in the world here, and you know, so it, there's a few of us out there. I'm amazed to hear it's just you and your wife. Right. So you, yeah. you're like, Hey, we are staying small from that standpoint, but yet you've got this incredible piece of software and tool that does uh, so much. I'm like, wow, I would think yeah. to a degree, was that a little bit of discipline to do that as well? Uh, it actually is a, a lot of licking my wounds from the previous startup. <laughs> okay. you know, I, I kind of, learn that, you know, when you have, uh, you take on investors, you're basically taking on a large roster of bosses. So, you know, there's that, uh, when you have, uh, millions of dollars of investment 
in your company, it, it kind of closes the door on a lot of common sense decision-making. Like you could make a lot of quick wins and bring income into the business, but if it's not steered towards a 10 X ROI for the investors, then the board is saying no to, to people who want to steer that way. And, and the, the, so you end up saying no to a lot of things you ought to be saying yes to. And if I had better control of the business, then I could do things that make sense for revenue and making the business stable and for making customers happy. And so when I was being pushed for a 10 X ROI all the time, a lot of, a lot of good decisions didn't happen. And a lot of bad decisions did happen. And I didn't like the fact that I was constantly, you know, having to just, you know, eliminate the, the war chest of the company for hiring staff that we weren't efficiently putting to work. And, you know, there are so many things I disagreed with. And ultimately, ultimately, I saw a vision like for that first startup that I wanted to go down. I had the contacts. I was like, you know what? We could be the the bot creating solution in Visual Studio with Microsoft. I come out of Microsoft. I have all the contacts. I have leads into the CTO at Microsoft. We can home run this strategy. Right. But the rest of the board of directors and management wanted to go down the service path. So it's like, I could have had my technology in visual studio and they're trying to keep it secret. Uh, and it's like, oh my God, you know, what am I doing here? So, you know, I ended up talking with uh, the investors and right. I talked with the employees and everybody disagreed with me. So I was in the wrong. Everybody thought I was the crazy one. And so it's like, all right, I guess I'll just sell my shares. And, uh, and so you know, I, yeah, I, I left and I went on and I started, I, I started SEO tool lab and I was like, you know, I, I still don't feel right about that. I think I was conceptually right. And that you can make good software and take it good places. And I just want to make a small business this time around. I want right. to keep it small and keep it all. And I kind of embraced that. Yeah. And my startup costs on the company was under $5,000. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, the ROI on that's through the roof, sure. my revenue per square foot for my office space through the roof. <laughs> I would like, love to yeah. have it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always in a situation where I don't have enough yeah. business expense. Yeah. And, and so like, these are great problems. Like when I look at like VC funded right, venture right. capitalists and I see how they spend money, I cringe, mm. I cringe, mm. you know, I see the things that they do. Like they make these, you know, video game rec rooms in the startup. And I'm looking at this going, there's a hundred thousand dollars of like foosball here, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, what are you doing? <laughs> Maybe that's what you need for your office. Put in a, a foosball room and, you know, yeah, it's you know, employee it, it, expense incentives. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess I just have very different ideas about business than like what a lot of the VC funded startups uh, have done in the past. And, and I don't agree with it. And I thought it was terribly wasteful. And I yeah. thought there were better directions that would be longer lasting and that past venture it's still alive today it's, yeah, it's yeah. been going since 2000 so yeah. you know here we are 22 years later and the company's still alive so uh, but i think it could have been bigger yeah well let me and i don't want to dig into old wounds because as you said you know you're kind of licking your wounds so i don't but i think you've got a great lesson uh that you can provide to our audience in that, you know, as you described kind of that post 9-11 crisis, right? So, you know, the, the world kind of came crashing down for you in that particular industry. And then you said it took about 10 months or so for you to kind of claw your way back out of that. I am curious because we're always, you know, trying to uncover how do people approach challenges and, you know, big obstacles. Obviously we just came through, the pandemic and as people prepped for that and, you know, survived that hopefully in more ways than one. 
But in that particular instance for you, for that 9-11 issue and your crawl back uh, to survival, I guess, with your company at that time, how did you approach it? What was, you know, if there's one or two, I don't know, key points maybe that you could share that said, well, this is what we did and what we had to, the steps we had to take. Well, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the consequence of taking on investment dollars. Like if you spend your own money, you can pull the plug when you want. But when you go to your family, when you go to your friends, when you go to your past employers and tell them you have a venture and you're taking their money to start your venture, uh, you, you can't quit easily. You can't just let it die. Right. And so I, I needed at that time when nine 11 happened, I knew that I needed to just, I, I needed to get through the event. So whatever it took to survive, keep the company alive and don't let those investments die. And so, you know, that was my mentality. So we had to downsize. We obviously couldn't keep the head count and we just had to keep the doors open and we had to keep the product alive. And eventually we did bring it back. We resurrected what ought, have, ought, ought to have been a failed business. We resurrected. And there's these concepts with startups, you know, people tell you that nine out of 10 startups fail, but I hear that differently. Like the, the reason, like I hear that differently is because, you know, when I hear that it's not nine out of 10 startups fail, it's that in the course of your startup, there will be nine times where nobody would blame you for quitting where everybody would understand and they'd say the correct thing to do is to pull the plug mm -hmm. and you need to not do it mm. 10 times. <laughs> and that's how you get to be the one in 10 that didn't close the door. Yeah. Cause I guarantee in all your startups, there will be nine times where you're like, damn it. We just went negative. We're less than zero. I'd be happy to be at a zero you know, I need to pull the plug and, and end it. And if you want to be that one in 10 that makes it, you can't, you can't give up easy. Yeah. And so some, sometimes that's terrible advice. Sometimes you got to close the door. You right. don't want to, you don't want to keep doubling down on something that's never going to work, but if you know it could work and it just takes grit and determination, I've always had that in spades. Yeah. You know, if I can reduce it to an equation of effort, like, you know, some amount of effort equals a win, then I've already won because there's right. no amount of effort I won't put in to succeed. Yeah. But the hard part is getting it down to an equation where effort equals victory. I would like to know that equation. That would be. <laughs> well, it's different for every business. And, and interestingly enough, for most businesses, the, the problem is in sales. You know, you make a, a solution and you're like, well, geez, if I could sell one copy in every town in the United States, that would be 25,000 units sold. Obviously, we can sell one copy per town. Why not? That's totally reasonable. <laughs> I could sell a copy in Chicago. Sure. At least I hope I could. But it's still a sales problem and right. most people don't come prepared for the sales problem. Right. Right. Well, that's some good advice just in, in thinking about uh, that. I love the issue about the effort though. That's good. So today, so you've got SEO tool labs. Uh, what, what's your approach to marketing? I have an idea, but uh, what I think that you're probably doing, but I want to hear, I guess what, what you're doing well, for marketing. I'm, I'm kind of in a state of identity crisis about that. So it's, it's a loaded question, but you know, here's the truth. Okay. Uh, the good. truth is, uh, I'm an engineer and techie people hate email. We hate it with a passion. <laughs> and so all of a sudden that makes me a marketer who's self-hating, all right? Uh, so uh, self-hating marketer. Cause I hate email with a passion. But I have a very real problem in that as a software company, every service provider company on earth wants to sell to me. I'm like the low hanging fruit of everyone. And so my inbox grows by about 30,000 emails daily. It takes about <laughs> three to four hours to process. So oh. on a normal work day, 
if I were to process my inbox daily, I'm spending half my day trying to sort it out. Yeah. And my customers were falling into that inbox and I, I can't have that. Yeah. So I'm having to reinvent my business to get my customers out of that horrible inbox. And so I'm making changes to do that. And uh, I also come from, you know, online retail and I've witnessed everything there is to witness in SEO. I've lived through every major event. And at one point during the caffeine mayday instant Google updates, uh, Longtail died and SEOs everywhere took a big hit. Like it, it was the doomsday of SEO because all that long tail traffic dried up and wasn't easy to get anymore. And at that point, I realized you got to diversify because if you are over invested in Google for your organic revenue, you're you're giving Google too much power. Right. And so I wanted to make sure that Google could never pull the plug on me again. And so my business is largely built and the unthinkable word of mouth. I, I don't, because in my mind, when I think about your tool, I don't know, I've never received an email from you. Yes. <laughs> from, I've been onto your site multiple times. I don't recall, uh, anyway, ever seeing yeah. any kind of an ad pop up anywhere about your software. And the yeah. only way that I've known about it and learned about it, um, I guess, or where I see it is only in various groups that I navigate in. Absolutely word of mouth. Now, the other thing that I would say is, you know, you, you do travel around, you talk to people, you know, you go to conferences, yeah. you make presentations. So that's part of that, I guess, kind of word of mouth delivery. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. you're, you're very well, low key, but yeah, you've got this incredible, this is where I think you've got such a great story. You're very low key and regarding your marketing <laughs> efforts. Um, but yeah, you've from a mind share standpoint in our industry, you own it. I mean, you are the gun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have the best tool in the, in the industry and it's the least known. I don't have the most market share. I have quite possibly the least amount of market share, but it's different. Uh, market share from mind share is different yeah. though. Almost anybody, as I said, if I put 10 SEOs in the room, absolutely everybody has heard and is familiar with Cora. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've focused my business on, on making the advantage I deliver very real, improving it and helping my customers realize it. And, and so it's to a point where, yeah, I don't have to do heavy lifting to spread the word. I'm, I'm a viral phenomenon because <laughs> of word of mouth evangelism. And that's where I want to be. You know, I, I love it when other tool vendors, when their customers get nervous because one of my customers moved in on their space, <laughs> like that fear lets me know I'm doing my job right. Yeah, that's great. All right. So now in one of the ways that I think that probably helps you as well, and that kind of viral evangelism, I love that term is this thing that you do with a friend of the show, he's been on the show uh, once before. Actually, we're going to, we're sitting down at the end of the month, we're doing another recording. We're going to do one of our random shows with Kyle Roof. Uh, Kyle is great. Love the guy. You guys do this thing, this SEO fight club, which I think, um, you know, you've, you, you guys kind of have some fun with it and uh, make it fun. Um, but yet it's still very data-driven kind of SEO mindset and conversation sometimes for people. I think we were at a at a conference just last week, and I remember somebody was talking about watching, you know, they were getting into the industry and they were watching the SEO Fight Club videos, you know, on YouTube. And they're like, listen, I listened to the first, you know, like 10 or 15 episodes or whatever the number was. You guys, I have no clue what they were even saying. I couldn't, I didn't know the language. I didn't, <laughs> these guys, yep. I mean, you and Kyle are like, I can, you know, you're like a couple of mad scientists out there kind of trying to explain a formula. How did that come yeah. about the, the two of you? You know, we, uh, we were appearing at all the same conferences and so we'd We'd talk shop, you know, I, I have a background in SEO testing and he has a patent in SEO testing. And so we were kind of 
uh, you know, doing, doing similar things, but from different origins. And, um, uh, so yeah, it's a natural fit. Uh, he's, he's not on the show currently cause he lives on the opposite side of the planet <laughs> and the hours were too rough for him. Uh, but who knows what the, the future may bring. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it just made a lot of sense to, you know, get like-minded people who are trying to put scientific method into SEO, uh, get them into a room and to discuss things. Yeah. Know? Well, I'll just tell people want to go check that out, go jump onto YouTube, go look for SEO Fight Club. It's a lot of fun. So what's around the corner for Ted and SEO Tool Labs? Well, uh, my, my happy place is inventing. So I do need to grow the business so that I can stay in my happy place. So I want to invent uh, more technologies to put into Cora. I want to deliver better advantage over time. I want to make sure we're prepared to adapt to any curveballs the industry throws our way. I'm pretty good at uh, anticipating those and being ready for them. And so, yeah, you know, I, I want to uh, continue to do the core of what I started, which is to invent cool stuff and to help people succeed. And so anything that furthers me on, on those two agendas is what I want to do. I love it. All right. Well, here we are, Ted, we're at, we're at the point in the show, we'll call it the bottom of the ninth. Okay. So this is where I get to ask you, if you have some advice, what for the rookies in the game? So those folks just kind of starting out, uh, maybe they already have their business looking for some guidance from a guy who's been around the bases a few times. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for those folks? It's going to be unusual advice, but here goes. Like if you're, if you're making a, an online store and you're trying to figure out, you know, what can you do? Here's what I recommend you do. Don't make one online store, make two, you know, it's going to cost you about the same amount of money to operate both of them as it does to do one. Just, just make two, make brand A and brand B, put them out there. Now, after a while, one will take the lead. One will be your primary one that's pulling the best numbers and great. So when you recognize that, that's, that's your big brand. When you get a little brand, the little store you have going, well, now, now you have a safe place to fail. All right. And that's what people don't give themselves is a safe place to fail. So a lot of SEOs out there, they'll, they'll take on a big client and they're putting themselves in a situation where the next mistake they make gets them fired. And I want you to think how fast is that SEO going to master his trade? It's like, he's, he's not going to, if his next mistake gets him fired, right. he's going to always play it safe and he's never going to learn. So when you make that safe place to fail, you have a store that you can hire an SEO and give them a shot. What can they do? You know, make backups. So if they tank your site, you just restore from back, uh, backup to undo it. Right. You have a place to test people you hire before you put them on the big store. You have a place where you can learn what works and what doesn't works before you move it to the big store. And so I made a 17 year career out of testing on the little store and migrating the successes to the big store. And that produced that strategy for me as an in-house SEO produced double digit growth quarter after quarter, year after year. I went from the new guy on the dev team all the way to the director of BI uh, at the executive table. And so it didn't take rocket science. It didn't take degrees in this and that it didn't take engineering chops. It just took having a safe place to fail. Nice. I love that advice. That is perfect. Uh, give yourself a safe place to fail that. And I, I love you were going on, you know, like, but you read the manual, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep that is that is great well listen ted thanks so much man for being on the show i've thank I've you really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more and uh hearing all the great background on you um it's terrific people can get in touch with you go directly to uh, seotoollab.com we'll have a link in the show notes to that as well as uh, ted's uh online vitals i guess his social accounts so you can go 
tap into him directly. Find him every week on SEO Fight Club as well. Always kind of fun. All right. Well, listen, Ted, thanks so much, man. It's been a lot of fun and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And listen, folks, that's the ball game. So thanks for joining us today. And if you like our show, please tell your friends, subscribe and review. And as we like to say, we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the bases with small businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market, a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.